The ring. What shall we do with the ring? The least of rings, this trifle that Sauron fancies. That is the doom that we must deem. That is the purpose for which you are called hither. Called, I say, though I have not called you to me, strangers from distant lands. You have come and are here met in this very nick of time, by chance as it may seem. Yet it is not so. Believe, rather, that it is so ordered that we who sit here and none others must now find counsel for the peril of the world. All right, welcome back. This is Danny J. And this is Jolin. Welcome back to Keep on Tolkien, guys. Episode 20. Today we're going to be taking counsel with you, and we're going to be talking about the Council, the Council of, of Elrond. Yeah. It's a, great, it's, a, it's a great chapter. So this chapter um, is one of the things like uh, that, I, if you listen to this podcast I've described before as like Tolkien porn, this is, wow. It's, so I listened to the audiobook chapter yesterday and the just the reading is an hour and 45 minutes long mm-hmm. it's a long chapter guys so before you call us long-winded about this subject just just know that it would take you almost two hours to just read the section we're talking about it's extensive very extensive it's very dense with dialogue that's that's what a lot of it is yeah this is probably some of the best tolkien dialogue and a lot of it made it into the movies which is cool mm-hmm. but yeah it's some of the best yeah, we've been kind of excited about making this episode for a while, but just because, I, I don't know, the Council of Elrond's awesome. It's one of those defining moments in the Third Age where they really give you a clear picture of everything mm-hmm. that's going on mm-hmm. and yep. everything that was. It's funny, too, because when I read uh, The Lord of the Rings the first time when I was, you know, in 2001, <clears throat> when I was a kid, and uh, I got to the Council of Elrond and I fucking hated it. I was like, because I had already seen the movie, so I knew what was going to happen. And I was just like, this is the most boring chapter ever. God, it needs to end. And then uh, n- then when I read it the second time in 2011, 10 years later, I was like, this is like the, the best chapter in, like one of the best chapters in the trilogy. Like everything goes down. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's sort of where the story begins. Yeah, it's really where the story of the Lord of the Rings begins. Like We were just talking about it earlier, actually, today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first book of The Fellowship is almost like a long intro or like a long prologue. Yeah. And then the story, like you figure out where you are in the story and what exactly is going on here in the Council of Elrond, beginning of book two, mm-hmm. where it'll all be explained. So yeah, let's let's uh, let's jump right into it. Today we're going to talk about uh, you know what is the Council of Elrond, what it was about, and what exactly they were talking about. We're going to get into the the nitty gritty because the movie is wonderful, but they just scraped the surface. Oh yeah, the extended versions is cool is better though. Some more of the dialogue made it in, but. Still, that didn't even scrape the surface. So, we're going to start by going over some a few facts. It was, uh, when was the council? It took place on October 25th in Third Age, year 3018. 3018, Third Age. Yeah, I I always remember that because it's literally a thousand years from this year. From this year, yeah. 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 Uh, where was it? It took place in Rivendell, hence the Council of Elrond. Elrond lives there. Also known as Imladris. The last homely house 
east of the sea. And then, importantly, why was it? Well, that's a complicated question, actually. It's kind of what the episode. It's kind of what yeah. the episode's about. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was more or less to deal with the ring and the threat of Sauron. Right, and well, nobody who goes to the Council of Elrond really knows what it's going to be about, even. Right. They all kind of figure out once they get there what it's about. Right. It's a pretty secret thing. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, very impromptu. Mm-hmm. And who is there? There are a handful of people. I think there were a couple side characters that were unnamed, that were there. But in general, uh, there were a good chunk of people. Mm-hmm. There was Elrond, Gandalf, Frodo Baggins, Bilbo Baggins, Glorfindel. Arrestor, Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Boromir, son of Denethor of Gondor. Gloin of the Lonely Mountain. Legolas of Mirkwood. And Galdor of the Havens, sent by none other than... Cure down the shipwright. Important character to have around. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole lot of events that lead up to the Council of Elrond, and that's what we're going to kind of... This is a preface for the Council. Yeah, because there's a lot of things that uh, that the people that we just listed off talk about. There's, I mean, there's a handful of different people. You've got dwarves, elves, and men, and uh, hobbits, all from across the map. And they all are there for different reasons, and they all talk about their different reasons, and we find out how they're related. But to fully understand that, we're going to throw in just a few, I don't know, precursing facts. Right, so we're going to start in the Third Age, the year 1050, which is around, which is exactly exactly 1,968 years before the Council. And what happened then, Joel? So that was the year long ago when Sauron returned to Middle-earth. After the fall of Numenor, he returns and he starts residing in Dogaldur. Yeah, which is that, that spooky fortress in southern Mirkwood. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that was uh, when they started to call Mirkwood Mirkwood, right? Right. Yeah. That's when that's when darkness started creeping back into Middle-earth again. Yeah, so because it was formerly called the Greenwood. Greenwood the Great. Yeah, it was a it was what, one of the biggest forests around. I think it's the biggest. Um w- yeah, at least in Middle-earth. I don't know about Beleriand. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. All right, so event number two. <laughs> We're going to go to uh, Third Age, 2941, which is 77 years prior to the Council. And that was the quest for Erebor, which everyone is uh, more familiar with from the events of The Hobbit. Yeah, the story of The Hobbit. Good old Bilbo heading off with the dwarves and Gandalf to go save Erebor from the dragon. And then after that, almost more importantly... Uh, Things changed. That's that's one of the things we kind of want to drive home here. Uh, since the quest for Erebor, there were yeah, it was like it was like a paradigm shift. Is that yeah, a, yeah. yeah, it was it, yeah. it was a big paradigm. It was shift. a change of a, of the age, and it uh, got actually life got a lot better for a good chunk of people mm-hmm. that were part of that story. Um, for example, the Bjornings. So you might remember Bjorn from the story of the Hobbit. He had a son named Grim Bjorn who. By the time of the council is old, he's called Grimbjorn the Old. And at that time, he it got to the point where he's now leading an entire community of Bjornings who defend the land between Rivendell and Dale. That's a really big chunk of land. Mm-hmm. That includes the forest, although I suppose the elves probably handle a lot of that. But still, it's a massive chunk of land. And uh, they even keep the high pass of Karak open. Yeah, which is super important. Yeah, mm-hmm. keep that high pass. Because that was uh, the pass that they took in The Hobbit that didn't go so well. They right. They ended up in Goblin Town. And yeah. 
They clean that up. Yeah, clean that shit up. And then also, uh, separately, you've got Bard's people. Bard the Bowman from Lake Town. After Lake Town was destroyed, he moves into Dale, and him and his people, now called the Bardings, rebuilt Dale, and now they rule and live in Dale, and it's got its own realm now. Uh, by the time of the Council, its realm actually stretches far south and east of uh, Esgaroth, or Old Lake Town. Yeah. So it's it's a prominent ta- it's a prominent town again. Yeah, yeah. Bard really cleans that place up. I think he expands almost all the way over to the was that the Sea of Rune or whatever, right? I don't know if he got quite that far, but, but yeah, toward it was out, that way. It was, yeah, yeah. It was definitely, definitely under the Iron Hills and all definitely that. Definitely out that yeah. direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he expands uh, the rule of men mm-hmm. in that area quite a bit. Uh, so another fun fact. In the year Third Age, 2,952, it's like 66 years before the Council, this is when 21-year-old Aragorn learns his true name and ancestry from Elrond, and this is when he's given the Shards of Narsil, and when he finally embarks off from Rivendell and kind of goes out into the wild and starts his Dunedain ranger life. His rangering. Yeah, and that's uh, that's around the same time he met Arwen as well, because she he met her right before he left for this. I can't remember if it was because of that, because uh, I just read it in the appendix, which I had never read before. Um, it's when uh, uh, Aragorn is talking to Elrond about how he's in love with Arwen, mm-hmm. and they they talk a little bit about it, and then Aragorn leaves after that because he goes on goes on rangering. That might be this. Yeah, I think it might be this event. But imagine a 21-year-old Aragorn. That's like a child Aragorn. That's a child for the Dúnedain, yeah. Oh, and then, let's see here. In the uh, year 2956, so four years later, this is about 62 years before the Council, that's when Aragorn meets Gandalf for the first time. And a great friendship and alliance is formed. Yeah, that, that friendship and alliance is so important and so cool. So cool, yeah. They're two of the greatest characters. Ever. Right. If you wanted to have two people on your side at all times, yeah, there was that thing uh, somebody posted on uh, on the on the Facebook page. It was like gave you a handful of characters. It was like two are on your team, and the rest are going to kill you or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I looked at it for like one second. I was like, Gandalf and Aragorn. Yeah, the first two were Gandalf and Aragorn, and the rest of them were just like, I think <laughs> Legolas and the like the other members Sam of the, Sam and yeah. Sam. <laughs> There's some hobbits on there. And yeah, I was like, like hold on. If Aragorn was going to try to kill a bunch of hobbits, like, he could be a mass hobbit murderer. <laughs> like, he could kill everybody in Hobbiton, and nobody would be able to do shit about it. I'm definitely not getting on... I'm definitely not trying to get on the listener for posting that. It's, that was super fun. <laughs> we love those kinds of questions. Yeah. Hypotheticals. Let's hear. So, so we're, yeah, we're, we're, where are we at? We're at uh, yeah, Gandalf and Aragorn meet for the first time. Yeah. Super cool. Gandalf and Aragorn meet for the first time. Then in the year 2988, it's about 30 years before the Council of Elrond, you've got this event where Balin and Ori and Oin and a handful of other dwarves from Erebor leave to go back to Moria and try to rebuild. Yeah. And then uh, after a while of, uh, of doing that, it's not really stated exactly how much time goes by. But after a while, when they get to Moria, they start rebuilding, and then all of a sudden, it's just silence. Nobody hears from them again. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Just or... word stops coming out of Moria. Yeah, which day. is never good. No, that that's not good. Never good. And yeah, and so after that, we got uh, TA 3017, which is one year prior to the council. Yeah, really jumping up. Yeah, really, really, uh, really getting close here, guys. Uh, so this is when Gandalf. This is when he. So he is captured. Uh, he's hunted down Gollum, right? Yeah, he's hunted down Gollum for information, and uh, he leaves him in the care of the elves of Mirkwood. Locks him up in there. 
Yeah, Gandalf's so, got shit to do. They just love locking people up up there. <laughs> that seems like, to be something that they do a lot and fail at multiple yeah. times. Mass incarceration is a thing. And in, apparently uh, they're not good at Merkwood. it. And they're not very good at it. It's real easy to escape. What, all 13 dwarves got away? Yeah, how do you lose 13 <laughs> dwarves? What the fuck? And then they lost Smeagol, although he's a slimy little fuck. Yeah, I and see they that did have a band of orcs, too. To We're going to get into it. Well, yeah, yeah. So then we've got, actually, in that very same year that uh, Gandalf left uh, Gollum with the elves in Northern Mirkwood, that's actually the same year that a black rider from Mordor <coughs> arrives to Erebor <laughs> and asks to speak with King Dane and offers him friendship with Lord Sauron the Great and offers him three rings of power, of the, the original dwarven rings, three of them. And the realm of Moria. I don't know what, why he offered them the realm of Moria because I didn't think that it was under Sauron's control. But nonetheless, he offers a Moria, and all of this just in exchange for information about hobbits and where they're from. That's super important. Like that's a big sign that something's going on yeah, here. Yeah, they're just like, and they totally cut that out of the the film. Oh yeah. There was nothing about that, but that was a that was a big deal. They fuck the dwarves though. There's not many, not much dwarf action in the movies. No, and then there's actually a really badass moment that Dane has. Is, but uh, so Dane doesn't answer this this horseman, and the horseman leaves, and he comes back a couple times to try to get a response out of him, and no go, no dwarves, go, no go with the dwarves. They're yeah. stubborn as hell. Um, so then, in the year three thousand eighteen, this is the year of the council. On April 12th, so it's about six months and 13 days before the council, this is when Gandalf finally confirms his suspicions and him and Frodo throw the ring into the fire. Yeah, that's one of my f- one of my favorite chapters. Into the fireplace, and he in, finally uh, reads the text. Yeah, in the fellowship when that happens, and they have they have like a cool conversation, too, about Sauron and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's also when, yeah. Gandalf that's tells, also a, Fro- tells Frodo everything. Yeah, that's a great exposition chapter. So, like, the the Council of Elrond is essentially like when you look at like a from a storytelling standpoint, is the king of exposition. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but that uh, Shadow to the Past is that the name of the chapter? I think it's yeah, Shadow of the Past. Shadow of the Past. That is uh, also a great exposition chapter. Yeah, I was reading something. It may have been actually one of our listeners that said something about this. Uh, but somebody was pointing out the fact that chapter two of each book is exposition in history i never noticed that damn yeah that blew my mind wow but uh (laughs) anywho moving forward now in june sometime in june it's about four months before the council is when for the first time mordor outwardly attacks gondor Uh, well the first time in a while anyway Mm. it's when mordor outwardly attacks gondor's forces and they're driven out of ethelion yeah, and that's uh, 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 Boromir and Faramir mm-hmm. and, like, one other guy escape. Uh, yeah, there's, like, four of them that escape yeah. when they when they tear the bridge down in Osculius. Mm-hmm. So at that point, we have uh, Gondor is basically, it only controls like half to of the river. Land. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to like, half of its country. And then they don't control the river itself either. You know, you got the Corsairs down in the south and then mm-hmm. the Orcs on the on the eastern shore. Right, yeah, because another thing that they love to leave out of the movies is a lot of this stuff that happens with Orcs is actually Orcs and men. The reason why mm-hmm. they lost Ithilien so hard was because they had also a bunch of Easterling men and Haradrim men from the south mm-hmm. helping them. Yeah. 
And uh, we, my my theory, at least, is that they don't include the evil men a lot because they didn't want to get that R rating. Oh yeah, because <laughs> then you'd have to have human blood. Yeah, then you'd have to have red blood because like that's the MPAA for you. Yeah, that's the MPAA for you. Black blood is fine, just not red. Yeah, as long as it's not red and they're not human. <sighs> Moving forward, so uh, let's see, July fifth. It's about three months and twenty days before the council. That's when Boromir finally sets out to Rivendell. Then later on September 29th, uh, 26 days before the council, so just a little, little, little over three weeks before the council, it's when the hobbits finally arrive in Bree, and they fall in with Aragorn and the Prancing Pony that night, and uh, leaving for Rivendell the next morning. And that's actually the same night that Gandalf reaches Hobbiton, trying to catch up with them, and he talks to Gaffer, and then heads towards Bree after them. Then we've got, uh, after that, uh, we jump to October 6th. It's a little over two weeks before the council, 19 days. The uh, hobbits and Aragorn are attacked on Weathertop by the wraiths. And that's actually a day after Gandalf was attacked on Weathertop by the, by the wraiths. Yeah, a lot of shit going down at Weathertop at that right. point. Yeah, <laughs> lots going down at Weathertop. Yeah, they, yeah, Gandalf had an epic battle. How many did he have with him? I think he had actually all the wraiths with him at that point. But oh, yeah, because he was trying to draw some of them off, Then right? he left to try to draw some of them away, and he did, like half of them. Number 15. Yeah, so we're looking at October 20th, right? Five, five days prior to the council. That's uh, <clears throat> when uh, Frodo has that super epic moment on the Fords of Barinan. Mm-hmm. And, and he escapes yeah. the wraiths. Glorfindel's there. It's great. River washes them away. Yeah, Aragorn and Glorfindel get the bright idea to drive the, the remaining wraiths into the river with, like, fire. Oh, yeah. They don't like it. Yeah. And then you've got the day before the council. That's when Frodo wakes up from his wound in Rivendell Mm -hmm. and is greeted by Gandalf. Which shows you, like, how urgent this shit was. Like, they were basically waiting for Frodo to wake up so they could have this council. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Another thing that drove home to me when I was was looking at some of this was Frodo gets stabbed on Weathertop almost three weeks before the council happens. Yeah. Yeah, almost. It's yeah. It's got to be nearly full three, three full weeks. Yeah, yeah. Because like he, he, it was fourteen days before uh, Bruin, and and I, he was out for a few days. Right? Yeah, yeah. So he, yeah, he, he got he bore that wound for a really long time. Yeah, he's a tough, tough son of a bitch. Tough son of a bitch, those hobbits. But then that brings us to the council itself. Yeah, we're here, guys. October twenty fifth, three thousand eighteen, the Council of Elrond. Now. Tolkien directly states that the council included a lot more subjects than he even included in the chapter. Right, yeah, he starts off with being like, oh my god, you guys. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff in this chapter. And I'm not going to get into all of it, but some of it is cool, so I'll tell it to you. Right. <laughs> yeah, so he starts off with like a little, uh, little disclaimer that not everything that was spoken in the debate in the council needed to be told. And there were certain events in the in the world, especially in the south and the lands in the east of the mountains. But they he didn't decide to cover any of that. Yeah, which sucks because I really want to know that stuff. Yeah, I want to see that deleted. Uh, deleted Is that some of the stuff I don't know much about? Yeah. Anyway, so the Council of Elrond begins the day after a feast that they uh, Elrond held in Rivendell to celebrate the victory at the Ford of Brunin, because that was a pretty big deal. The fact that Frodo did not get taken and the world did not end. Yeah, big time. And uh, Frodo basically wakes up that morning just kind of hoping to relax and 
go out for a hike and he finds out that he's got to go to this council. Yeah, it kind of sucks. He wakes up and he's like, oh, I'm in the most beautiful city ever. I want to go exploring. Gandalf's like, no, we have top secret shit to do. And they want us there now. They want us there now. I'm hungry. No. So <laughs> him and Gandalf went hopping on over to the council and Sam kind of trailed behind unnoticed. Uh, but ultimately, at the council, we had Elrond seated up front. And uh, there was a seat drawn for Frodo actually right by his side. At the at the right-hand side? Would you say it was... Like the, Jesus? I think it's probably like yeah, the right-hand side. You think it was the right-hand side? Yeah. I don't know if it specifically says, but <laughs> we can go with that. <laughs> uh, so there were several others seated around Elrond in silence, seven, several other elves. Uh, there were some of his advisors, and uh, of whom Aristor was their chief. He's a pretty important elf character. Yeah, I like him. Aristor's good. Yeah. Um, Frodo also saw Glorfindel. He saw Galdor, an elf from the Havens who had come on an errand from Círdan the Shipwright. Círdan the Shipwright. You got someone heralding from Círdan here. Uh, let's see. There is also a strange elf clad in green and brown whose name is Legolas, who was there as a messenger from his father, Thranduil, the king of the elves of northern Mirkwood. Frodo also saw Gloin there and a younger dwarf at his side named Gimli, his son. Gimli. 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 And then off in the corner, he saw Aragorn sitting alone, clad in his old travel-worn clothes. Brooding. Just brooding, because that's what Aragorn does. No one knows what it's like and to be uh, the dune and die. Yeah, and sitting, sitting <laughs> seated a, a little apart from everyone else was Boromir. A tall man of the south, fair, noble face, dark-haired, gray-eyed. He had a proud and stern glance. Sounds like a douche. Bottom ear. Yeah, so, and then the council basically, it turns into just... Uh, it almost starts informally with a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it, it, it starts to get into uh, a lot of people telling stories about where they're from and what's going on in the world. Right, because they weren't really told what this council is about. They were all there for different reasons, and while they were in El in uh, in Rivendell, Elrond's like, "You're coming to the council. What council? Well, you'll find out." So the council begins, kind of informally, with uh, it sort of starts as a conversation because everyone's talking amongst themselves, waiting to hear what's going on. Gloin gets to talk into Frodo because they're sitting next to each other and they're catching up and kind of knowing who each other is. And Gloin starts to tell Frodo about his couple reasons he has for coming to Rivendell, because everyone's got their own reasons for being there. And uh, he's telling Frodo about his first reason, which is hoping to find some news about Balin, Ori, and Oin, because they had left Erebor some 30 years ago to go reclaim Moria. There's a little excerpt about that. Gloin sighed. Moria, Moria, wonder of the northern world. Too deep we, we delved there and woke the nameless fear. Long have its vast mansions laid empty since the children of Durin fled. But now we spoke of it again with longing and yet with dread. For no dwarf has dared to pass the doors of Khazadum for many years of kings save Thror only, and he perished. At last, however, Balin listened to the whispers and resolved to go. And though Dane did not give leave willingly, he took with him Ori, Oin, and many of our folk, and they went away south. Sad. Yeah. Seeing their relatives just go and disappear. 
Yeah, and Dane wasn't cool with it. Yeah, they didn't. Some people didn't seem very comfortable with that. But uh, the second reason that they had come, and the more urgent reason, was they had actually come to directly warn Bilbo that there was a black rider from Mordor that was actively looking for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, after, like we said earlier, the uh, bla- there was a black rider that had ridden for Erebor and offered King Dane friendship in exchange for information about hobbits, and they just kind of blew him off. <laughs> and they're like, we're, we're riding to Bilbo and letting him know that there's this guy looking for him. Right, yeah. Like, if somebody comes to you, like, if the cops came to your door, right, like, do you know this kid, Joel? Uh, no? No. Never met him. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> maybe your story will change by then, huh? Uh, maybe. I'd so, sell you. Sell you down river in a second. Thanks. Yeah. Glad to know we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, a little excerpt from uh, what Gloin says in regards to the Black Rider. The rider asked urgently concerning hobbits of what kind they were and where they dwelt. For Sauron knows, he said, that one of these was known to you on a time. Find only news of this thief, whether he still lives and where, and you shall have great reward and lasting friendship from Lord Sauron the Great. Refuse, and this will not seem so well. Do you refuse? At this his breath came like the hiss of snakes, and all who stood by shuddered. But Dane said, I say neither yea nor nay. I must consider this message and what it means under its fair cloak. Consider well, but not too long, said he. The time of my thought is my own to spend, answered Dane. For the present, said the wraith, and he rode off into the darkness. Ooh. Spooky. Pretty threatening. Yeah. Can kind of understand why they wanted to... I love that. For the present. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, at, on one hand, he's here offering you friendship, and on the other hand, he's like... He's very threatening. He's very threatening. Very threatening. Very passive-aggressive. Very Sauron-y. <laughs> what, would a, what would a Minnesotan rider from Mordor sound like? Oh... Yeah, you know, we're looking for this uh, little hobbit. He may have stolen something small from us. We were wondering if you could, you know, help us out a little bit. Yeah, we were just wondering. You know. You know, I brought these cool old rings and... Yeah, maybe you thought you'd maybe like to have these rings, you think? We just want to know, you know, just something little like, you know, where he lives. Oh, yeah, if he still lives, even, you know. still lives, you know. Oh, yeah. It'd be great, you know. Yeah, it'd be great. And Dane's all... Hell no. Oh, yeah, you know, I don't know. Either way, uh, maybe come back, you think? (laughs) You mean come back later? <laughs> so at this point, this is when Elrond finally kind of jumps into the story. I think people kind of tuned into Gloin's story, and Elrond reassures him that he doesn't stand alone, and that here today, everything that he needs to hear, he's going to hear, and he'll be able to understand what the purpose of the enemy is. A little quote from Elrond. Now, therefore, things shall be openly spoken that have been kept hidden from all but a few until this day. And first, so that all may understand what is the peril, the tale of the ring shall be told from the beginning, even to the present. And I will begin that tale, though others will end it. And then Elrond basically goes into the complete history of the ring. 
Yeah. So he's just kind of setting things up like, I'm going to start with this super early lore from the beginning because I'm the only one that knows this. And then we're going to let other people carry the story on because it just so happens that everyone is here that needs to be here. So, yeah, it really starts off with these uh, elves who are mostly Noldor in a, founding a place called Eregion. Celebrimbor was their, their guy. Yeah. And uh, because they're Noldor, what's the main flaw of the Noldor, Joel? <laughs> Their constant seeking of knowledge. They're super eager. And they will buddy up to anybody that'll teach them cool shit. Mm-hmm. We've already seen this happen once before. Yeah, if you don't remember back, read the Silmarillion, guys. So, yeah, he goes through a lot. He goes into the elves in Erigion, their friendship with Sauron, uh, Celebrimbor making the rings, uh, the forging of the one ring in oh, Mount Doom. The Master Ring. The Master Ring. Um, then how Celebrimbor hid the three rings. Hid the three rings after he found out what Sauron was doing. And then he, f- <laughs> then he goes into a complete history of the rise and fall of Numenor. Yeah. Which I assume took a while. I assume it took a long time. There's like 30 or 40 kings of Numenor, aren't there? There's like <laughs> Yeah, they said that it started in, in the, I think it was around noon, and it went like well into the <laughs> afternoon. He was just telling people history. Do you think they ate while they were like... No, actually, Bilbo specifically states when it gets to his turn to, to talk that he's like, can we at least break for, for lunch? Yeah, we have a little piece of bread or something. <laughs> I was to understand that there would be hors d'oeuvres. There would be hors d'oeuvres here. <laughs> There's just like chips and dips sitting on the table next to the ring. Like, Is this what you elves call hors d'oeuvres? Oh, <laughs> uh, so... Oh, not only into the... Yeah, so Elrond gets into a lot of stuff. Not only the rise and fall of Numenor, but he also gets into the northern and southern realms of, of men after Numenor is gone. Right, which is pretty sweet because this will be a little... Uh, we can tell you this, guys. we got an upcoming series planned where we're actually going to do the exact same thing that Elrond did here. I'm sure we'll tell it better than him, too. I hope so. We're yep. going to do, do the Kingdoms of the Dune three-episode series. Uh, Numenor, Arnor, and Gondor. Boom, yeah. it's going to be great. So stay tuned for that later on this season. It's going to be It's going to be awesome. And then, so, uh, yeah, he also goes into a little bit about the the last alliance, uh, the host of Gilgalad and Elendil, and how they mustered to make the uh, alliance of elves and men, and march on Mordor itself. I would have loved to have seen that battle. They went right in. Yeah, they just trucked on in there. So he goes through the whole history of the war of, of uh, the the last alliance, the overthrow of Sauron. Uh, the recovery of the ring by Isildur, the death of Isildur at the ruin of Gladden Fields, uh, the recovery of the shards of Narsil by Isildur's esquire when he goes back to Minas Tirith, uh, the heir of Isildur taking up home in Rivendell. And that's uh, Valendil. Yes, Valendil, because for whatever reason, I feel like the movie gives you the, the impression that Aragorn is like the grandson of Isildur or something. Yeah, no, it's no, many it, years yeah, it's, removed. Yeah, it's... Multiple generations. What was it like two thousand years or something? Like that? It's it's a while. Three thousand. It was a long time. Yeah, he also gets into the entire history of the decline of the men of Western S. So the fall of the Northern Realm and the decline of the Southern Realm of Gondor. Which yeah, you can also read about that in the appendix of the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's, it's uh pretty cool. But we're gonna be getting into that in that series I was just talking about. Right, so. that's exactly what we're gonna be covering. Yeah. Um, he gets into the return of evil to Mordor and uh, how Gondor was weakened at that time, and that's kind of what let that happen. Not that it was really their fault, but uh, he, he even gave a brief history of the fall of Minas Ithil, how it becomes a Minas Morgul, 
and the uh, ruin of Osculiath and the establishment of Minas Tirith as Gondor's capital. Yeah, and shortly after that, founding of Minas Morgul is when, uh, shit, we just talked about him in the last episode, the last king of Gondor. I can't remember his name, but he was taken in there uh, by force mm. and uh, never seen again. And that's where uh, that we talked, because we were talking about the line of Anarion. That's why we were talking about that. Right. Yeah, and that's where the line of Anarion ends. Because Isildur was king in the north. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and since the line in the south ended, it then you know went to the other son's line, right? Which is why Aragorn the northern gets kingdom, to claim it. whoever was king of the north, then got the south too, right? But so that that was Elrond's like afternoon of his speech. So after that, uh, El Elrond announces that's the end of his part of telling the tale, and at that, especially since he ended on Gondor, first person that fucking stands up and. Pipes up is going to be Boromir. Boromir, son of Denethor. Who just said he wants to say a lot more about Gondor and their struggles. Yeah, and he talks about how they're they're essentially endlessly struggling against uh, what he says, the nameless enemy. Um, he also talks about the newly formed alliances with uh, Mordor and the East, the Easterlings. And the South. And the South, the Haradrim, um, evil men, you know. He gets into a little more of the uh, sudden attack of Athelion, which he was at. He describes a new evil power at the fall of Athelion, one of the main reasons why it fell so quickly. It's something that they had not felt before, and it was the ringwraiths and the power that the ringwraiths had to instill fear on other people. Yeah, that black or, breath, yeah. Actually, it, it may have even been one wraith. As I was reading over, he said that there was a black rider there, and just one was enough to help them take down an entire city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, and he also went into uh, how hard it is to hold the west uh, half of Osgiliath. Right, after that fell, then Osgiliath was a mess because one half of it was taken by one and the other half was kept by Gondor. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, he also bitches about uh, how nobody's helping them. No one's help. Nobody's helping us. And then he gets into one of the main reasons why he came to... The council in the first place. Well, I should say the one of the reasons why he came to Rivendell in the first place is because of a dream that he and his brother Faramir had had. Faramir actually had the dream multiple times. Mm -hmm. It was like a recurring dream. And then finally, he also, Boromir, had the same dream once, and it totally convinced him. All right, yeah. So we're going to get in, we're going to do a quote about the, the dream that Faramir and Boromir had. In that dream, I thought the eastern sky grew dark. And there was a growing thunder, but in the west a pale light lingered, and out of it I heard a voice, remote but clear, crying, Seek for the sword that was broken. In Imladris it dwells. There shall be a council taken, stronger than Morgul spells. There shall be shown a token. The doom is near at hand, for a sealder's bane shall waken, and the halfling forth shall stand. Whoa. Yeah, we're probably going to end this this episode uh, pretty quick here. Yep, just kind of running a little short on time, trying to keep to our yeah. And uh, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna leave you with uh, what Boromir says and the uh, the Gondor plight essentially the plight of Gondor the plight of Gondor. So it basically ends with Bar Boromir bitching about how they don't have any help, mm -hmm. and uh, he tells about this dream he had, and Faramir also had it. Yeah, there's gonna be a ton more rich history thrown in on top of that. So be sure to. Tune in for the next episode, guys. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, guys, come back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> listen to the new. Yeah, listen to the next episode. 
Um, that's it for us. Uh, I'm Danny J. This is Joel N. Keep on talking, guys. Yeah, yeah. keep on talking. Aure and Tuluba. <laughs>